The following podcast is brought to you by The Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Attention! Attention! A monk asked Enkyo Roshi, I am lost in social media and can't seem to focus on anything. Enkyo Roshi said, put down your phone. So I'm grateful to be here uh, in this Zen temple, uh, my first time practicing here since, uh, since we reopened. And I'm grateful to be out there uh, with all of you uh, in Zoomland. Uh, and uh, I want to find how to get the gallery. Uh, you, uh, we'll, let the, uh, we'll let the tech chief do that. There we go. Um, and although Zoom and the internet and mobile phones, we're going to wait just a minute. We've got some echo and feedback here, so please bear with us. One, two, three. That sounds better, right? Okay, good. So uh, although Zoom and the internet and mobile phones um, have transformed our lives in many ways, um, there's a dark side to these technologies. And I've been, uh, I've been myself uh, over the last year or so uh, really uh, thinking deeply about my relationship to these technologies. And then there's also the business models that drive the companies that produce these technologies um, that I want to talk about today. Uh, the implications uh, of these various forces on us uh, reinforce for me that the work we're doing here uh, is more important than ever. So uh, I'll ask you to examine um, your behavior, um, your ways of interacting with these technologies. You ever find yourself reaching uh, for your iPhone uh, during a slow moment in a TV show? How about a slow moment in a conversation with, with a friend? Have you ever found yourself checking your messages obsessively when you checked them less than five minutes ago? Have you found yourself dropping out of a conversation because you're looking at a message someone sent you? I think it's worthwhile looking deeply at these compulsions. What are you going to miss? What are you missing? What am I seeking when I check my messages compulsively? Did anyone reply to my email? Did anyone like my post? Did someone post something that gives me an opportunity to reply with a heart emoji or a witty rejoinder? Does anybody care about me? I need to know that somebody cares about me in this vast, lonely world. Also, we can look at how we consume information. We're all different, but I'll use myself as an example. I have five email accounts, at least, on which I get dozens of emails a day. 
most of which I immediately delete. I have a Facebook account that fortunately I've weaned myself off of mostly um, and almost never look at. I have an Instagram account, a LinkedIn account, a Twitter account. And in addition to email, I monitor probably between 20 and 30 Slack channels at work and a message by people several times a day. I'm subscribed to probably a dozen Reddit groups. I specifically really love the dad jokes. The dad jokes are among my favorite. Get notifications from the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. I also get the New Yorker, Business Week, and AARP magazine. <laughs> we have four streaming subscriptions, more streaming content than I will ever consume in many, many lives. And of course, there's YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Mixcloud and Vimeo accounts. And then I also have a growing stack of books. Fortunately, um, actually, I was telling Doshin the other day that the, um, although I don't attend it very often um, because I don't need more Zoom meetings, um, I, uh, ever since the Village Zendo Book Club started, uh, I've returned to long-form reading. Um, and I'm just really enjoying that, that ability to uh, just kind of curl up with a book um, uh, and immerse myself in a book rather than jump between, jumping between Twitter threads. Um, so what's, what's going on here? What's going on with me? What's going on with you? I've been reading a book called Stone, Stolen Focus um, by someone named Johan Hari uh, that investigates these questions. Uh, Hari talks about the effects uh, of our always connected lives and how we've lost the ability to pay attention. He talks about what's happening in our brains. And he examines through a, uh, intensive research uh, the reason that the big companies that are driving our behavior have no incentive to change. Research has shown that, uh, that posts that contain expressions of outrage and negative emotion uh, get shared more widely than posts that express positive emotion. So since Facebook and all of these other tech companies' business depends on holding our attention, it's not surprising, for example, that we end up with a highly polarized body politic. We end up segregating ourselves in these digital echo chambers where we only hear from other people who agree with us. And of course, we, we know that um, politicians of all sides, or influencers of one sort or another, have an incentive to demonize groups of people who are different from us. Kojin talked about how we see the others as other a few weeks ago. Bokashu talked about the decades of racism in this country that are still with us and how that led someone like Peyton Gendron to view people of color as people we needed to murder in cold blood. This is, was before a school shooting in Texas. 
So I can't really draw a direct connection between school shootings and social media. The issues are complex. But I believe it's appropriate to draw a very strong indirect connection. Social media has both connected us and isolated us. We need to put down our phones to have the mental space to really pay attention. So in Stolen Focus, the author points out that our addiction to these technologies both causes stress and is a reaction to the stress of living in the world at this time. So when we're faced with, with uh, a threat, um, uh, either a physical threat or a, a threat that we perceive as a threat uh, psychologically, uh, our physiological reaction is stress. We become hyper, become hyper vigilant, awake and aware, just always looking out for what might be coming to get us. So to what extent is our obsession with information cause? And to what extent is it effect? I think we all intuitively know that we're living in difficult times. We're living in difficult times even if we're financially secure and healthy, and not everybody is. There are many people who work minimum wage jobs and have trouble making ends meet. There are people that are struggling with health challenges, family challenges, psychological challenges, people who are unemployed. And in the midst of all of this stress of living in the modern world, stress of trying to survive in this modern 21st century capitalist society, state legislatures are passing laws to undermine voting rights and to undermine access to legal abortion. As I mentioned, children and teachers are being murdered in schools. Climate change is accelerating. In light of all of this, it's not surprising to me that we feel the need to be constantly on our guard, reading the news for threats, where we might have looked out to the forest in a simpler time. So the end result of this stress and our compulsion, our compulsive um, consumption of social media and other media and our disconnection from the physical world, according to Johan Hari, is that at a time when humanity is facing unprecedented challenges, we're more divided than ever. Unwilling or unable to focus long enough to understand the complexity of the problems facing us. And therefore, we aren't able to come together to find solutions to these problems. So, what's a Zen Buddhist to do? Or a conservative Christian? Or a secular humanist? So, the title I wanted to give to this talk is Now More Than Ever. Now more than ever, we need to take time to practice. Now more than ever, if we believe in God, 
we need to take time to listen to God. She can be encountered anywhere at any time. If we're a secular humanist, we need to ponder deeply the science and the moral and ethical implications of the situation and try to the best of our ability to act according to our understanding. So uh, the question that I posed, what's a Buddhist to do? What's a conservative Christian to do? Sounds like the perfect setup for a joke. So a Zen Buddhist, a conservative Christian, and a secular human, humanist walk into a bar. <laughs> the bartender asks, what do you have? The Zen Buddhist says, nothing. I'd like to drink of emptiness. The conservative Christian says, I'd like judgment day, heaven for the righteous and damnation for everybody else. Bartender asks the secular humanist, what would you like? And he says, well, I'd like our government to be like it was in West Wing. So I'm making a joke and I compare it to each of these groups because I am each of these groups. <laughs> I can completely understand wanting to retreat into emptiness. I completely understand wanting to reserve heaven for the righteous and to punish everybody else. And I completely understand wanting to return to an imagined idea of a better past. So our world is made of Zen Buddhists and conservative Christians and secular humanists and drug addicts, the underprivileged, people of color and racists, people who have strong feelings about traditional gender norms and trans people, baby boomers and Gen Z. So what would happen, what would happen if we all put down our phones and tried to find common cause? What would happen if we took the time to sit quietly and listen to God and study the science and the ethics of the situation? What would happen if we stopped shouting? And if we come across someone who's shouting, what would happen if we didn't shout back, but asked, why are you angry? What can we do about it? How can we address the causes and conditions of your anger, your shouts, are the expression of the Dharma. It's very difficult to solve problems when we're angry, and yet we all have reasons to be angry. So our practice is not the solution to the world's problems. 
a place to start. You start on the cushion, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in division, breathing out peace, breathing in anger, breathing out love, breathing in climate change, breathing out cooling rains, breathing in, breathing out, just breathing. In that moment when you are just breathing, there is your true self. There is no you, no us or them. Dropping body and mind, body and mind are dropped. There's just a warm room, sounds of the fans or perhaps the birds. The familiar feeling of sitting quietly. Now more than ever, we need this. Now more than ever, I need this. So when I was writing this talk, I was caught up in the urgency of the moment. And immediately I thought about the koan in which Nanpon kills a cat. So I'll read it to you. One day at Nanpon's, the Eastern and Western Poles, monks of the Eastern and Western Poles, were arguing over a cat. When Nanquan saw this, he took and held it up and said, if you can speak, I won't cut the cat. The group had no reply. Nanquan then cut the cat in two. Nan Quan also brought up the foregoing incident to Zhao Xu and asked him. Zhao Xu immediately took off his sandals, put them on his head, and left. Nan Quan said, If you had been here, you could have saved the cat. So, those of you who know me know I'm an animal lover. I have a lot of difficulty accepting the idea of a Zen master of killing an innocent cat. As a teaching story, however, we can imagine that this koan was intended to convey the urgency of Nanquan's resolve to stop the monks quibbling over meaningless philosophical differences. This is the urgency that I feel faces us in the world today. Nanquan stains his own hands with blood in order to wake up the monks. To get them to look at how they're wasting their lives fighting when a spring day is right there in front of them. I feel the same urgency. If only Zhao Zhu was there, he would change the conversation. He would say, let's go for a walk. Put our sandals on our head and let's go for a walk. He'd blow everybody's minds with his sandals and his head walking off, even for a moment. But then I thought, perhaps we shouldn't use this koan anymore. There's too much violence in the world. 
Perhaps we can't even use it as a teaching story. I have this concern. So I'll leave you with a different poem. Bayan's Care's Breath. Bayan asked Zhushan, a hair's breadth difference is as the distance between heaven and earth. How do you understand? Zhushan said, a hair's breadth difference is as the distance between heaven and earth. Mayan said, well, how do you get it that way? Zhushan said, I'm just us. How about you? Mayan said, a hair's breadth difference is as the distance between heaven and earth. Zhushan then bowed. So when we're caught on our hamster wheel of reactivity and distraction, it's a world of difference between heaven and earth. Anytime we separate from our lives, we suffer. Our life might be dealing with the aches and pains of getting older, or the stress of a new job, or the anger at the inaction about school shootings and guns in our society. But when we separate, we miss it. Now more than ever, it's important to practice and to reflect. And then respond appropriately to the situation in our life, right here and now. There's a verse that goes with this koan, and I'll read it to you. When a fly sits on a balance, it tilts. The balance of myriad ages shows up unevenness. The balance of this age shows up unevenness. Pounds, ounces, grams, and grains, you see them clearly. After all, it finally reverts and gives up to my zero point. When a fly sits on a balance, it tilts. This versifies the hair's breadth difference. So what is the zero point of the scale? Just my life as it is. Just our lives as they are. Nothing extra. Now, more than ever, let's put down our phones and our megaphones and sit quietly together. Let's pay attention so we can fix our broken.